Uh, great are you, Lord. You, you calm the fears. Uh, I had three different conversations this week with folks. They initiated this. My words, n not theirs, but concerned about what appears to be uh, uh, an apparent decay of the values in our country. And I can tell you as a guy that's, that's been here for over six decades, that's how it feels to me. And we're in this place now where I'm going to call the Judeo-Christian ethic was the foundation of where our country uh, uh, was born. And in my estimation, to a lot of the success is built upon that, and we have drifted away from that. So much so that sometimes now, when we even want to lovingly convey what I would call a Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, we're shunned. And folks want to silence us. And uh, sometimes we're even called haters. Then you got this guy over there in North Korea that's shooting missiles off. Have you seen that? We got this guy in Russia now that's threatening, uh, <laughs> threatening nuclear weapons. The world's a mess. Always been a mess. And life is hard. Not even to talk about the personal things and the challenges that come with living life day to day. Paying bills, having relationships, and making those things work. Jesus is the answer to all that. It's what we look at every week. It's what we're going to look at today in the text. Jesus is the answer. He's the one that provides this foundation for us to find meaning and purpose and joy in life. And it's not easy to keep focused on Jesus. So here's the text as we continue through John. I told you uh, here a couple of weeks ago that we were transitioning in John. You get through the first 11 chapters, that's roughly two years of Jesus' ministry. You move from this 11th chapter to the 12th chapter, we're in chapter 12 today, and we're dealing with one week. Chapters 12 through 21 are about one week in the life of Jesus. He's been doing stuff to point to who he is. He's been saying stuff uh, to, to try and illustrate who he is. He's going to talk more. Last miracle was the raising of Lazarus. But he's going to jump into revealing who he is and how we find this joy in him. Here's how John continues this text now. We are five days before the crucifixion. But chapter 12, we got a lot of chapters to the end of the book. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. 
So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Lord, as we look at this text, I pray as always you'll keep me true to the words that you intend to speak. Father, you know that I think the ideas here that are contained are of a critical nature for us if we're going to find the joy and the meaning and the purpose in this life and in the next that you intend. There's so many distractions in this world, so many hard things, so many things that it feels like if we could just fix all these things, everything would be fine. Father, we want to be salt and we want to be light. But mostly we want to see your son and we want to hear these words that he has for us. I pray wherever those folks who, who can hear me now are in their spiritual journey with you, if they're still considering whether or not to treasure you, to trust you, I pray that you use these words that were inspired by you to speak to them. For the rest of us who are on this journey, it is not always easy. But Father, we are asking for more joy, more peace, more confidence, more security in you. So I pray in the midst of whatever we're all wrestling with here today, I pray we would leave more confident in Jesus, the King. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So I see three basic ideas. This is, what do we usually refer to this, this Sunday as? Palm Sunday! Oh man, come on, tell me, this is a good day. This is Palm Sunday. <coughs> Jesus finally acknowledges that he is the king. And he's recognized more broadly as the king. Now this is a big deal. If you go back to John chapter 6, Jesus had fed more than 5,000 with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. And then he moved away from them because what John tells us is they were going to try and force him to be king. Now, I don't know how you actually do that, but they're starting to build this. And Jesus says, no, we've turned a corner. He didn't want all that accolade. He didn't want everybody calling him that up to this point. It wasn't time. Now we're to the point in his life where it's time. The next day, what happened the day before? A party for Jesus in celebration of Lazarus being raised from the dead. That's what happened. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, a, Jude a, a, a Judaic uh, way to celebrate. And they did some of this in their feast. And they went out to meet him crying, Hosanna. 
Hosanna, when it was first used in Jewish history, meant, ha! It was a cry for help. Save us now. Over time, over a few centuries, it became a, 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 a note of praise. But Savior, oh, this is good. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of God. They are figuring this out. Even the king of Israel. Come on, tell me this doesn't get you excited. We've been following so many of these dunderheads through these first 11 chapters. How good is it? They are finally figuring it out. And Jesus is going with it. He's acknowledging it now. He is not now denying it. Verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written in Zechariah 9.9, he gets on a donkey humbly. That part is left out here. He gets on the donkey humbly. Zechariah wrote, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's all right, Jesus is saying, you who think I am the king, you have it right. I am the king. And they're praising him. How cool is this? This is exciting. Isn't this good? Now, you all remember what happens five days later. It's part of what our text is about today. The biblical authors everywhere, John, are concerned with there are people who are close to Jesus but still miss the essence of who he is. But Jesus was not recognized as the king he is. That's the problem. He came on a donkey, not a stallion, not a war horse. They're convinced he is the king. they still don't get what kind of king he is. Pick it up at verse 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Just like Zachariah said he would. His disciples did not understand these things at first. And by first he means not until he rose from the dead. I love these guys. For those of us who are in the process of growing, and sometimes I look at my life and I go, how did I not see this earlier? And then I go, eh, those disciples, I'm a little encouraged. Those blockheads, how slow are they? It's all right to be on the journey. And heck, they had Jesus teaching them and they didn't get it. You guys, to some degree, are stuck with me. You've got all kinds of excuses. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. He is the king. But on Palm Sunday, they didn't really understand what kind of king he was and what kind of kingdom he was building. Jesus gets that. So he's going to clarify. They didn't understand when he said these things. And I'm afraid where he goes, to some degree, we still might not understand or at least want to pay attention to it that much. 
They wanted a military political conqueror that made life easy for them, that kicked Rome all the way back to Rome. It's not the kingdom he came to build. Jesus is unlike any kind of other king. He does what no other royalty does. He dies. He dies to build his kingdom. His kingdom isn't built by conquering other folks. He builds his kingdom by dying. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. I think John is adding this to try and show us he ain't just the king of the Jews. He's king of everybody. The Pharisees in the verse before it said, he's going everywhere to the whole world. I think hyperbole, but his message is spreading. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew, Philip uh, went and told Jesus. We don't know whether Jesus ever went and talked to these guys or not. But he does talk to the disciples here. Don't miss this. Now, why is he giving them what he's going to tell them here? Hosanna! Let's celebrate the King of Kings! Whoa, he is here! Whoa, 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 whoa! It is time! The King has arrived! You guys got it partly right. But you still don't understand what kind of king I'm going to be. You don't get it. Verse 23, and so Jesus answered them. We don't know what happened to the Greeks. For those of you who are getting worried about that, don't. It's not important. What John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, records here is critical. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Several times earlier, John recorded... Jesus saying, for the hour is not yet. Now it's here. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now don't hear me erasing or, or diminishing Easter and the resurrection. I love Easter. But it's not what Jesus is pointing to. It's time for me to be glorified. Then he gives us this metaphor. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. Now for you horticulturists, I do understand literally the seed doesn't die. I don't know how many conversations I've had over with people. The seed doesn't actually die. Every metaphor has limitations. You put the seed in the ground, it represents Jesus who did actually die. You with me here so far? So if you've got those questions and you want to talk about the seed really didn't die, please find someone else. 
If unless a seed goes into the ground, it remains alone. All Jesus means is that it stays a seed. That's what he means. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You guys are all celebrating the king. Even though I've warned you, I've told you what's coming, you still don't get it. I'm going to build my kingdom, and there's going to be a ton of fruit. My hope is that we are that fruit. Even if you're here today or online and you're watching, you don't treasure Christ, my conviction is if you're even listening to me, how else would you even want to listen to me except that God's moving in your heart? It's the only explanation I can come up with. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So particularly if you're thinking about treasuring Christ, please hear me here when I talk about this because these truths are now being debated even among those who would like to put themselves within the walls of Christendom. Love Jesus, we love Jesus. Here's why Jesus came into the world, to die in excruciating death. The physical pain was not the worst part of it. It was carrying our sins upon himself. If he just had to carry the guck of my life, I think that would be painful. And I look out at some of you and I go, oh man, that was a lot of stuff. It's bad enough with me. In his death and our believing in him and what he accomplished, there is essential to our salvation. There are a lot of people that talk about Jesus dying. You've heard me reference and you're probably getting tired of it. But in my estimation, sometime I'll talk about the threats I see to the church today. The biggest one, it feels like to me, to people's faith is what I'm referencing. You hear me call it progressive Christianity or post-evangelicals. We got lots of threats out there. But this is the biggest one to people getting what Jesus is trying to point to here as a genuine faith. Jesus died, but you don't have to really believe in him to be good. I mean good in the terms of being right with God. It's absolutely essential. Anybody that doesn't treasure Christ, who he is and what he did, is going to be doomed. And Jesus' death is the pinnacle of his being glorified. I've told you, and I'll keep saying it. In Christianity, we probably go Christmas, Easter, and Good Friday. It's upside down. It ought to be Good Friday, Easter, and Christmas. Now, I love Christmas, but I'm just going to tell you, everybody gets so excited about Christmas. Who doesn't like a little baby being born in a manger? You understand, again, this is God becoming a human being. It ain't that great for him. That was in itself an act of humility. But his going to the cross, and kings don't build their kingdoms this way. But God said, you want to see the glory of my son? You look at the cross. You want to see the love of my son? You look at the cross. 
You want to see the power of my son who created the whole cosmos? Look at the cross. Now, nobody got it when it happened. Nobody saw the glory of Jesus in that. Even those that he had equipped and trained, they saw it as failure and disappointment. That's what they were feeling. They had such hopes of what he was going to be and what he was going to accomplish. For the disciples, for the followers in that day, you're right, I am the king. But not the king in the sense you are going to be. I'm going to die. Now, if you're getting somebody to join a club, just let me tell you, this feels like to me the worst way to sell it. You guys know my passion because I didn't understand this when I was raised in the church. Until I started reading the Bible. Where Jesus, the biblical authors, are trying to describe what faith is. Jesus is going to go, hey, I got to die. Then he's going to say, for you guys too, so do you. Ah, how do you get people to sign up for that? Hey, yeah, you want to have a life that's hard and miserable and painful? Here's the line over here. Easy believism. Jesus is talking about the clarity of who he is as the king. He's also trying to make clear who the actual subjects are. And here's what he's going to say. We've got to die to enjoy that kingdom. Now the world's so the view world's goes view like this. Live and enjoy as much of this life until you die. What else is there? Eat, drink, and be merry. Let's rock and roll and let blah, enjoy it all. And then you die, then it's over. Now, there's an old musician, a guy named Paul McCartney. You young people, Google him and see if it's anything comes up. He was part of a little band that some people recognize. I talked to two young people this week, and I said, I'm going to play a, a soundbite from Paul McCartney. They said, who? I don't even want to know what their parents were not teaching them about rock and roll. <laughs> You know, it just is so disappointing to me. Then he was with another group of wings, and in about 1972-73, these folks that were doing a movie, Live and Let Die, came to him and asked him to write a song. Here's this song. Now, I heard that song in ninth grade and fell in love with it, and I didn't look at the lyrics till ah, a few years ago. Didn't really know what he was saying. But I like the tune. When you were young and your heart was an open book, you used to say, live and let live. Let's just live. You know you did, you know you did, you know you did. But if this ever-changing world in which we're living makes you give in and cry. And I'll tell you, since COVID, even these conversations this week, it feels like we're tempted to go there. 
Live and then die. Just live and then die. What does it matter to you? When you got a job to do, you got to do it well. You got to give the other fella hell. Do whatever you have to do. That's just life. You used to say live and let live. You know you did, you know you did, you know you did. But if this ever-changing world in which we're living makes you give it and cry, say live and let die. That's the motto of the world. The world tells us live and let die. Jesus says something else. And it's counterintuitive. You want to talk about counterintuitive truths, this is, I think, at the top. Everybody knows what I mean by counterintuitive? Not obvious. Here's what Jesus tells us. Die. Die and then let live. Oh, man. What in the world does he mean? Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Notice how he goes from talking about his own life to now immediately talking about ours. Because there's a connection. He's not asking us to die physically. But he's saying, you want to enjoy my kingdom? You in some ways have to live like I lived. You got to be willing to die. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So we're going to pull this apart. Because Jesus starts with this warning. You live for yourself and you're going to lose your life for eternity. Now let me tell you what the core part of the sin nature is. Living for ourselves. Everybody hear me? You want to know what the essence of sin looks like? Living for ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I really like me. So I like living for myself. I like people thinking much of me. Hmm, makes me feel good. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, and you'll see the contrast here with the next phrase implied here, is whoever loves his life in this world loses it. We've got to die to this world. We've got to die to ourself in this world. Because if we live for this world and what's here. Here's what he's saying, that's our highest priority, that's our highest value. You see what happens to us? We end up losing our lives. Jesus' solution, die to our selfish pursuits and live for him. Now I don't know about you, but I like my joy, my happiness, my pleasures, and this world has a boatload of them. We're living in the period of the world where there are more things in this world to enjoy than every in the history of humankind. I like my car. I like my big screen TV. I like my house. I like this world. I don't know about you, but it can be very, very fun. Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, this is a Hebrew idiom here. 
There's hyperbole in it. I don't think he's suggesting that we have to hate our life. There are people who have taken this verse and they go live in absolute poverty. Cloisters. You read some church history. I think they're misinterpreting it. That somehow God gets most glorified out of us being miserable. But it's a contrast. Does everybody see the contrast? What he's talking about is our value in this stuff. We're finding our most significance, our most security, most of our identity. Uh, 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 it's found in, in, in this world. I love my big screen TV. I'm going to tell you, it's nice. When you watch sports on it, it's better than on a little one. And those of you with a little one are going, I'm more godly than God. <laughs> that could be a problem. The problem is if I'm looking for this to satisfy my life. If my significance is found in all this stuff. We've got to die to the promotion of self. Where our greatest happiness is, is promoting ourselves. Do you think preachers wrestle with this? What do you think? Success, whatever success is. We got to be successful because that's how people will know me. And don't tell me you don't even think about this when you buy a car. Part of what we deal with when we buy a car or buy shoes is how are other people going to look at us? Uh, what are they going to think of us? Successful, not successful. Am I saying buy an old jalopy? I'm saying let's be careful and do an assessment of our heart. It's not having the things that's the problem. It's the identity in it. Comfort. How many of you like to be comfortable? May I see your hands? I love comfort. Part of the car I buy is one that has a bigger seat. It's part of the value to me. It's my legs are long. Some of you are going another direction with that. Some of you are going that way. I'm going this way. I can see what you're thinking. But I like a comfortable car. Is a comfortable car bad? The question is, how important is that car to us? Where does it sit? Fame. I think God has made a lot of people that love him fairly well known. My sense is many of those folks, too, frustrate with fame being more important to them than it should. Jesus says, you want to enjoy all this stuff, you got to give up promoting yourself. And live for Jesus. Follow Jesus. Now, he's going to use follow and serve here somewhat interchangeably, but I think there's a little nuance. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And here's again the benefit. Where I am, there will my servant be also. Got to know me. You got to connect with me. You got to be in a relationship with me. You got to be living as though we're connected. Prosperity gospel, have I talked enough about that? Here's what I love about the prosperity gospel. They get so much true about Jesus' death, his resurrection, have faith in him. They just eliminate this part. Love Jesus, in fact, he'll make you rich and you won't get sick. I love that. Do you think that message sells? It is selling around the world. Here's the problem. 
The people that buy it, they don't get who the king is. And they're not living like the king. Serve Jesus. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, how much honor did Jesus get at the crucifixion from the crowds? We live this way? God up there smiles. Do people? Probably not that much. <clears throat> so in order to live the best fulfilling purposeful life, we die to our selfish pursuits. Let's just start here. This is not easy. I think it's always been hard. I think it's harder in our culture than any other time. Because we just got more. See how I caught myself there? We got more stuff. I was going to use a derisive term, but there's the Holy Spirit again taking control of me on a Sunday morning. And I got myself. We got more stuff than ever. This ain't easy. Happily following Jesus, wholeheartedly serving him, and we gain eternal life and life with Jesus, and we bear much fruit, and we are honored by God. The trade-off, it's a cost-benefit analysis. The cost is inconsequential compared to the benefit. I grew up, just stop loving the stuff of the world. Just stop loving the stuff of the world. Just stop loving the stuff of the world. Let me tell you, it never worked for me. Still wrestling with it. But when I met Jesus, I had something way better. So don't miss where we just came from in the text. You all remember where we were last week? Heather did an outstanding job of giving us the picture of Mary. John sets up as he writes that account as a contrast between Mary and Judas. Mary, she saw who Jesus was. She saw his beauty. She saw his glory. So what does she do? A year's worth of perfume. I don't know what you make. 60,000, 90,000, 150,000, however much you make in a year. She poured it on Jesus' feet. Did he stop her? No, because she's actually for everybody illustrating she gets who he is. And the money to her is inconsequential. That's how we get it. We see the beauty of Jesus, and the allure of the stuff in this world is diminished. Will it ever go away this side of heaven? Let me assure you, no. But we recognize it, and we wrestle with it. But the answer is seeing the beauty of Jesus. Judas, who spent more time with Jesus than Mary, missed it. We're going to get later in the chapter. A year's worth of salary she dumped on Jesus' feet because that's who I am. It's not a mistake. Judas, a few days later, going to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, if you look it up, different amounts, 400 bucks. Because he loved his life in this world. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Mary, she went there. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This week, we're in the 12th chapter of John. Don't just try to love the stuff of the world less. It doesn't work. 
see the beauty and the glory of Jesus more. Here's what I'm encouraging you to do. We're 12 chapters in. Start this afternoon. Start tomorrow morning. I don't care. Read two chapters a day. Give it 10, 15 minutes. Just say, Lord, I want to see Jesus' glory, his beauty, his love a little more fully. So I read these two chapters. Will you reveal to me something I hadn't seen before? Or if I had seen it, will you deepen it in my mind and my heart? Because I don't want to forfeit any of those benefits. There's no earning here. There's no earning. None. Jesus just says, you love me? You look differently. Can you imagine me marrying my wife and living exactly after we got married like I did before? I'm just going to tell you, that's my concern for lots of churchgoers in America. They think they come to faith in Jesus, and yet they pretty much are living like they did before. I think Jesus says, mm, that's not good. Because when you see my glory, you'll dump a year's worth of perfume on my feet. How good is that? Lord, thanks for loving us. Thanks for giving us Jesus. Thanks for moving him to speak in such vibrant words with such penetrating truth. We are living in a world that's filled with challenges and hardships, no different in many ways since Adam and Eve fell. We want to be instruments of grace, of light, of truth. We want to serve you by promoting your glory to others. So, Father, help us in that end. I pray that you would give us each, wherever we are in that spiritual journey, for those still considering whether or not to treasure you, Father, give them glimpses of who Jesus is. Our lives are transformed forever through Jesus.